Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. If you would start to make your way back, we will uh, start with the latter half of the service if you'll start to make your way back here. Let's gather back for the preaching of God's Word. If you do not have a Bible, you will need one. Uh, I believe there are some at the Welcome Center, in the back center, as we will be uh, diving into God's Word here this morning. And we're looking at Psalm 31, so why don't you go ahead and uh, begin to turn and open to Psalm 31, either on in your Bibles or on your phone. As you turn there, uh, I'll be... Uh, letting us know here, over the next few months, we're actually starting a new sermon series titled God's Playlist, as you can see in the front of the bulletin. So, and this is covering the Psalms. And the Psalms were given to us in Scripture, and they were originally all put to music, actually. This was God's hymn book. Scripture, God's Word, is given to us not only to shape the head and our hands, but also the heart. And the Psalms play a significant role in this. There is not only a godly way to think and to act, but to feel. Christ's work on the cross not only impacts our status before God and how we live, but also how we experience joy, sorrow, anger, fear, trust, love, and even hate. 
So for example, the other day, uh, I, how I felt was shaped by the world rather than by the Lord. So like all couples, Rondale and I go through good moments and bad moments in a day. So recently, early one Sunday, a few Sundays back, uh, Rondale was not feeling well. She was feeling a little sick, also very worn. Shiloh had been up the night before, and Shiloh had gotten up early, which made for a tiring start to a Sunday. So understandably for Rondale, the day ahead of her felt daunting because uh, I was busy serving at the time uh, at church and such, and so uh, she felt like she was on her own. So I walked out the door, honestly, feeling helpless, uh, frustrated, even like I was forsaking responsibility to my wife. But all these feelings were augmented and felt deeply because I had made the happiness and comfort of my wife and daughter ultimate. Any threat to their happiness in that moment felt like a defeat for me. I felt this way because I had fallen into the cultural lie that says our happiness and comfort at times is the one true God. And the enemy, what is the enemy of that God? Suffering. And so in, 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 in our culture today, we don't have an ethic for suffering because suffering is the enemy of the God of comfort and happiness. And in my weaker moment that morning, I fell into this lie. You see, suffering is a result of the fall. Yes, absolutely. But it is never, never is it our defeat. In America, like I said, we need uh, an ethic that enables us to face it rather than be crumbled by it. And this week, we are starting in, in our, our time in Psalms with Psalm 31, which is typically considered a psalm of lament. Scripture, as it shapes our hearts, here teaches us how we are to approach hardship and discomfort. We as a church need to learn how to lament well. So let's read Psalm 31 together, starting in verse 1. I'll read the whole thing. Now, it's, it's a, so it, this was originally a song, a song, excuse me, that David wrote, so I'm going to read it emotively as a heads up. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless, worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul and you have not delivered me into the hand of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity, and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors, and an object of dread to my acquaintances. 
Those who see me in the street flee from me. I've been forgotten, like one who is dead. I become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many. Tear on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let the lying lips be mute, which speak insolently against the righteous in pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he has wondrously shown his steadfast love to me when I was besieged in a city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the Psalms. Lord, we are a people broken by sin. And Lord, we're fragile. We are broken by others and those who afflict around us, Lord. Broken by the world and by hardship. And God, we ask that we might turn to the Psalms to shape not just how we act, and think, but Lord, how we feel. Enable us now, guide us by your spirit as we look to dive into your word. We pray in your name, amen. So in our psalm written by King David, we immediately see him in trial. And like David, of course, we too face times of distress. We at times have maybe been a reproach to our neighbors. Maybe we have even felt at times we've been a reproach to others in our church. Our strength fails because of our own sin or the sin against us. Amidst such moments, like David, we must suffer differently. King David, when he wrote this, needed an ethic for suffering. And what I mean by that is he needed an understanding of suffering that enabled him to face it rather than be crushed by it. So this is the first thing we take away from Psalm, and it's from the Psalm, and it's found in verses 9 through 13. As I mentioned earlier, the Psalms were sung. What David is expressing here is not information, but he is expressing pain and suffering. Let's let's read just verse 9 and 10 again. I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief. My soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow, my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity. My bones waste away. So 9 through 13 testify to something that may be pushed against in the world. Firstly, David is having an emotionally vulnerable moment where he openly laments and mourns his circumstances. He's not simply informing, like, oh, I I had a hard day. 
But he's, he's, he's actually emotively reacting. He is being sad and is expressing that sadness. Secondly, this pushes against our culture because he's expressing his emotions towards God. David laments with purpose to the Lord. So I, I love the, the film Pixar. Excuse me, the film Pixar. I love the company Pixar. They have so many good films. Uh, and, but I love the film Inside Out. So in this film, if you've seen it, emotions are actually given characters and are personified. And there's two main characters, joy and sadness. And they are the emotions of joy and sadness in the head of a girl named Riley. So Riley uh, is a 12-year-old girl, and her family moves to a new city. And it's, it's a hard transition for this normally very happy girl. But in the transition, her mom says to her, you know what, sweetie, I'm just so thankful that you are our happy little girl. Hearing that for the rest of the film, Riley battles her emotion of sadness, refusing its blue presence. And at the end of the movie, spoiler, sorry, it's been out a while, it's on you. Uh, but at the end of the, end of the movie, Joy, the personified emotion, takes her most cherished memories and hands them to sadness. Sadness, the character, then enables Riley to reflect and remember through all that she had left in her old house. Beautiful memories that she had lost. Making cookies with mom and dad. Running around her old house with her dad chasing her, playing silly. Scoring her first goal playing hockey. Skating with mom and dad. And all of these joy-filled memories that are yellow begin to turn blue with sadness. Finally, in front of mom and dad, Riley cries and says, I know you don't want me to, but I miss home. I miss Minnesota. You need me to be happy, but I want my old friends and my hockey team. I want to go home. Please don't be mad. Oh, sweetie, mom and dad say, we're not mad. You know what? We miss Minnesota too. We miss the woods where we took hikes, in the backyard where you used to play, Spring Lake where you learned to skate. Hearing this, Riley begins to cry even harder. Her parents pull her towards them, and the three hug. During this hug, we see Riley give out a sigh through the tears as she finally rests in the embrace of her parents, knowing that they have experienced this sadness too and can relate to it. Like Riley in Inside Out, David in this psalm is turning to God. It is not only sharing the events of what has happened and the hardships that he's facing, but he is crying to him in his emotion. He says his eye is wasted with grief. Some of you may sit here today and think that you may do this pretty well. Or you may think that it's a bit too touchy-feely, a bit over the top. But I want to encourage you in this direction. Are you good at sharing with God, not just what you're feeling, but actually sharing with the Lord, excuse me, not just what you're thinking, but actually sharing with the Lord what you're feeling? This is something I, I've rarely done in my life, and I need to get better at this. God, I'm sad. This is something that we need to do in our life, not only with God, but with those in our life who are close to us, with those God has put in our life in front of us. A culture that makes happiness and comfort ultimate 
does not give you and I much space to express our discomfort. But scripture tells us this is not the way it should be. God wants us to come to him with hardships, but also our sadness, anger, and fear. How would you feel if you told someone, how would you feel if someone who cares about you asks how you're doing, and you didn't just express what happened in the past week, but you said to them, you know what, I'm not okay. I'm sad. So we can also begin practicing this kind of thing by praying psalms of lament back to God, by following this example in the psalm. And we can sing it back to God as we're going to do actually here after the sermon at the end of the service. We as a church are called to lament differently, to suffer differently. We should emote to God and to others. And not only this, but we should raise our requests to God. We look in verses 1 and 2 and 15 through 18. We see David say, incline your ear to me, rescue me speedily, be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save. So David, in his sorrow, begins actually this psalm by going directly to the one who will hear him. And David has no doubt that God will not hear him. David David offering his request to God while in pain is actually one of the greatest testimonies of God's love and faithfulness to hear his people, to love them, and to respond to them. How so, you may ask? Well, I'm going to read a quote here by a theologian who once said the following. When uh, He said the following regarding those who go to God and suffering. And here's what he says. How can I say with sufficient tenderness here what needs to be said? Let me implore the reader to try to believe that God may really be right when he thinks that prosperity and happiness are not enough to make people blessed. I call this a divine humility because it is a poor thing to strike our colors to God when the ship is going down under us. It is a poor thing to come to him as a last resort. If God were proud, he would hardly have us on such terms. But he is not proud. He stoops to conquer. He will have us, even though we have shown that we prefer him to everything else, and come to him because now there is nothing better to be had. King David, in our psalm, comes to God with an open heart, full of confidence that the Lord of the universe will hear him, knowing that God has a divine humility that has forgiven all wrongs, And even though David at times, I'm sure, came to him as a last resort, he's still confident that nothing can separate. No barriers keep David from expressing to the Lord his distress and making known his requests. So I I have a daughter named Shiloh uh, who is at such a fun stage of life. Uh, She just learned how to crawl about uh, two weeks ago. And Rondelay can testify to this, uh, but she is a major daddy's girl. (laughs) When I come home in the door, I yell, Shiloh! And she's even looking at me now from the hill when I did that. It was so fun. Uh, But she lights up, and she gives me a big smile, and she laughs, and she gets down on all fours and starts scrambling across the floor to get to me. I'm sure many of you know what this joy is like experiencing this. So only problem is that she's learned to crawl. But she hasn't, she, excuse me, she hasn't learned to get past all the objects that are in her way. 
So when I walk in the door, nothing delights me more than to move the chair, move the three toys, move the sweater, remove any barrier that is blocking her path to reach me. I would remove any barrier to have my daughter come and find me in joy, in happiness, in pain, and in comfort. And I'm not even a good dad. I'm not even that good of a father. But like a father to his child, God, a perfect heavenly father, has removed all barriers between himself and King David to enable David to make all of his requests known. Like, do you have the same confidence as David to come to the Lord knowing that he has removed all barriers? Do you have confidence in his divine humility that the Lord inclines his ear to you? You and I must seek him and offer our requests in our need with assurance. Christ has cleared a path. The psalmist sings as a testimony that as verse 21 says, he will hear the voice of your pleas for mercy when you cry to him for help. Do not be silent before the Lord. We must raise our request to God. We must suffer differently. And not only must we suffer differently in how we lament and in how we make our requests known, but also in how we trust him amidst suffering. So we must suffer differently in how we trust amidst suffering. So this, this point here is the climax of the psalm. I'll pick it up in verse 12. I'm going to read it from there a small bit. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I've become like a broken vessel, for I hear the whispering of many, terror on every side as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. Against the backdrop of all his suffering in verses 9 through 13, David sings, because remember, this is a song, so powerfully that believers do not endure suffering in the same way because believers put their hope and trust not in comfort or happiness, as I said at the beginning. So this is not to say, of course, that believers do not struggle at times to trust the Lord. Even David had many moments in his life where he doubted God's will or plan. But it is to say that Christians serve a God who is profoundly worthy of all trust. It is because of God's great worthiness, David is able to say, but and I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. Deep distress requires deep trust in a God who is deeply trustworthy. Deep distress requires deep trust in a God who is deeply trustworthy. So I googled how, uh, how I googled how to get through hardships. And I clicked on the very first link that that came up, and here's what it said. It gave me a list of eight things. And the first is acknowledge the hardship. Second is to speak up. Share it. Third is examine what is causing your feelings. The fourth is to make time for yourself. The fifth is to exercise 
The sixth is eat right. Seven is get enough sleep. And eight is ask for help. So I'll be straight with you. This is actually a really good list. In fact, the author recommends doing some of the things that we've already talked about here today and that David directs us in the psalm. Acknowledge the hardships, speak up, share it with someone, ask for help. And I could nitpick some, but I'm going to go right to the core here and point out the biggest difference between that eight-list solution that Google gave us as the first link option and the difference between that and David's solution in the psalm. David's solution includes something that is bigger than the hardship. And David's solution doesn't just deal with the symptoms, it deals with the problem, and it does so by involving something, someone greater than the problem. David's solution is different because he trusts the one in full control. It is in this God that David places hope and trust during suffering. So I've been rock climbing maybe a dozen times in my life. And I'm not the strongest individual. I don't work out. But I'm in it for the bell at the top, right? It's just so life-giving to get up there and ring that bell if you've ever been able to. So I take the easy climbing route. Anyways, after having been a dozen times, I still have that moment of apprehension at the top when I have to let go. So I'm at the top. There is still a genuine clinging for life sensation. But I only have two options. One is to try to rely on my own strength to climb down the rock climbing wall. And that will not end well. Or trust the one who has much more control than me, which is the carabiner and the one holding the rope that will slow my descent. So I let go. And I trust the carabiners and the person who's slowing my descent as there's nothing between me and 20 to 30 feet of air. So David trusting the Lord is like this, only is a thousand times better and a thousand times sweeter. Because unlike me only having gone rock climbing a dozen times, God has given him a thousand plus testimonies of his faithfulness. Church, trust in God. Put your full weight in the carabiner and the one below, uh, descending the rope. Trust as a whole. Put all of yourself, your hopes, your weight, your fears. For some of you, it may feel like you're hanging off the side of the cliff, hanging on to dear life. And you may be tempted to never let go of the grip that you perceive you have. But I pray that God would peel your fingers back from clinging to the cliff's edge and that you would place your full weight and trust upon him in the trial. This psalm, for some of us who may not be in the trial, is also a moment and an opportunity to come alongside those who are suffering, who are lamenting, to come alongside them with tools of help and aid. We're going to sing a psalm afterward. We're going to actually sing this psalm afterward, Psalm 31, with a song. And you may not be experiencing the same lament and suffering of others, but we can still sing this psalm through one collective voice as we seek to enter into the suffering and experience of others. We put our full weight and trust upon God in the trial. 
And Jesus did this exact same thing. He put his full weight and trust in the Lord. And he even actually spoke these exact words found in verse 5 of the psalm. Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. But this was different. Because these words were spoken by a man who placed his hope and trust in God perfectly. But God did not answer. On the cross, Jesus was forsaken as he bore the sin that broke his trust in God. But Jesus did not entrust himself, even then, to the Father's care in vain. Even in this, God proved his faithfulness on the third day when he delivered Jesus from the power of death and the resurrection. Jesus has gone before us. He was forsaken so that when we put our hope and trust in God, we will never be. We can follow David's exhortation found in verse 24. Be strong. Let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. In our suffering, we lament. In our suffering, we offer our request to God. We seek and strive to put our trust in him. Christian, because God has shown his steadfast love, because Christ has gone before us, we must suffer differently. And we must aid those who are suffering differently. Let's pray. God, our Father, some of us, Lord, have been wounded deeply and Lord, we come to you asking that you will help us. Lord, we desire and we, we yearn that these, these scriptural truths might be truth for us. Lord, help us by your spirit. Enable us to do these very things. But Lord, for those of us who may not be in the trial, in desperation right now, I ask and pray that, Lord, you will enable us to be equipped to utilize this psalm to come alongside others in their suffering and hardship. And Lord, for surely the suffering that lies ahead, Lord, equip and prepare us for as well, that we might hold dearly to these scripture, scriptures and truths. Lord, that we might be prepared for the hardships in our own lives as well. Father, we uh, ask now that we can sing this psalm in your truth. But before, Lord, may we come to your table asking that we might be nourished in our union with Christ, for it is only in his strength that we are enabled to do this. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so we will continue in worship through approaching the Lord's table in a time of communion. Um, and the deacons and elders, if you guys can come forward, uh, they are going to grab uh, the communion and they'll bring it around in the baskets to distribute the elements. So this is an opportunity for us uh, to have a moment of seeking the Lord in trust, um, to trust the Lord uh, by approaching him for nourishment, uh, by approaching him for the grace that he extends to us. Um, and this is a family meal. Um, this is for anyone who has professed their faith in Christ, um, who has been baptized in a Christian church. Um, we invite you, if that's the case for you, to come this morning. But if that is not the case for you, we would ask for you to refrain from taking it this morning um, and instead uh, 
one of those elders or deacons that you see or myself after service, grab one of us. We'd love to talk to you about what does it mean to put your faith in Christ? Uh, what does it mean to get baptized? And is that something that the Lord uh, is asking for you to do? Um, and we'd love for you to wait and, and talk to us after. So, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us eat together. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us drink together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you are a God who is worthy of putting our trust in. Lord, that we can bring before you our joys, our hopes, our fears, our sadness. That you will take all of those. That you love us uh, no matter what we may be feeling today or tomorrow. Lord, that you are with us. And so, Father, we, we turn to you this morning in trust seeking uh, to put our faith in you, uh, joyful and glad that you are a God um, who can carry any and all of what we experience, Lord, that you have proven your faithfulness, and so we ask that you will, will grow in us uh, a faithfulness to turn to you again and again. Thank you for this, and in your name we pray, amen. Please stand as we respond, singing Psalm 31. In you, Lord, I refuge take. Oh, 
this benediction from 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you all. Amen.